Hi there, everyone. Welcome to the Women Wired for Wellness podcast presented by Holistic Icon. I'm your host, Dr. Nisha Chalam. This podcast was created to fulfill my obsession for the understanding of why we struggle with symptoms, the science behind them, and the reason why most women suffer for years before they seek solutions for their troubling symptoms. I'm also very passionate about teaching both my patients and people who come in contact with us as it helps me empower myself and them with knowledge. What kind of knowledge are we talking about? The knowledge that our health is probably the one asset we all can control. This control begins with knowing all that has been known about it. It is not simply about knowing a disease and considering medications as the only option, because that might be the only option when you are nearing death. But to truly live a fulfilling life, we need to know how to tap into our innate nature to heal and all the possible qualities, including developing grit, passion, and consistency. If this podcast has helped you or opened your eyes to a different path, please take time to leave a positive review. And if you felt we fell short somehow, would you let us know how to improve it? Now, without any further delay, let's get on with today's podcast. Started preparing for this podcast, I really wanted to get into the in-depth use of medical marijuana. As we know, this is a growing plant-based medical intervention for various conditions from head to toe. I would have loved to go into further detail of using this medication. However, I realized as we were discussing, there's so much to be known about it as there's an awkward reintroduction of this naturally occurring plant and the treatment of some very chronic diseases that have plagued mankind. And because medical marijuana is still not accepted by mainstream medicine, there was so much more information that we needed to delve into. And this podcast, I think, really does justice to it. For those of you who are looking for treatment of medical marijuana and cancers, we did not get into this particular field at all during this podcast, mainly because I think it requires a podcast of its own. The Rick Simpson method, which I see brought up again and again by uh, several people, we did not touch base within the recording, but I did um, discuss it with Dr. Schneider for, with one of his patients who's undergoing treatment. Really, the purpose of this podcast was to have a better understanding of the options that we have out there for this medicinal plant. People are willing to openly talk about CBD oil and its benefits, but would cringe away from medical marijuana. Using only CBD seems to be, once again, something like we're willing to take something naturally available, then splicing and refining it to help us try and extract only what is considered legal, useful, or most of the time, acceptable. It is almost like taking the anthocyanin from the blueberry and not advocating the use or eating of the whole blueberry. Marijuana is a plant with a checkered past. The reason it became checkered was because people once again used it by extracting the more psychedelic aspect of the plant 
and then overused it and added it to other substances and gave them such behavioral changes that the plant itself received a bad name simply by association to these behaviors. However, the underlying benefits of this natural plant never truly died, and it has had a revival due to its ability to become a safer alternative. A safer alternative to what? To our current opioid crisis. Its recent boost was propelled by the disastrous repercussions of the use of long-term opioids and its aftermath. In the early 1990s, physicians and hospitals were penalized for the underuse of opioids or pain medications. And then a decade later, it was noted that the opioid crisis had led to legal and illegal use both by physicians and patients. Soon it became apparent a fine line had been crossed and the death from opioid use, prescription opioid use, was getting out of control. So the reactive DEA suddenly put a lid on the prescriptions of these medications, kind of yanking the legal supply for many and a source of income for some pharma as we have gotten to learn and some ducks. This has left a whole generation of people who solely depended on this supply for managing initially their pain and later their addiction. So the biggest hurdle in the medical world is the fact that we replaced one scheduled drug and now we are trying to use this other scheduled drug that is naturally available and gaining acceptance is going to take time. The toxic profile of medical marijuana is not even comparable because really no known toxicity has been recorded. In fact, if used like it should be, medical marijuana may potentially have the safest profile of pain medications out there. Physicians have been blamed for creating the opioid epidemic and will get blamed for creating a marijuana epidemic should they be ever one. Therefore, this transition to acceptance will be slow but certainly steady. We discussed how to determine what is the best medical marijuana. Given that it is a plant, the plant can be grown several ways. Several fertilizers can be used to keep the plant um, growing healthy. Medicines can be used or chemicals can be used to prevent it from getting infected. We have to also take into account how it's extracted how to keep the purity of the plant. The THC and CBD, both of them have medicinal uses and I was quite surprised to know the THC is a very important part of uh, potentiating the effect of the CBD. A cannabis plant has 100 different compounds in it. The resin of the flower should be used as the source of medicinal extract. THC have a lot of impact in helping with inflammation, spasticity, and even with neurological condition, including calming effects. It helps with sleep, particularly it seems the aged THC helps with sleep. It helps with muscle spasm. It helps with pain, as a pain distractor. CBD decreases how hard the pain is, the intensity of the pain, whereas THC distracts the person from pain. In other words, it has an impact in how the brain perceives the pain. 
CBD is anti-inflammatory for the joints and gut and for several cells in the body. Ideally, we need to focus on what is called the entourage of the whole plant rather than an extraction of a specific chemical compounds to make drugs that we have found seems to have short-term effects. Once again, taking a medicinal plant and trying to extract just the chemical part that has biological activity may actually prove to be ineffective. Using the whole plant with minimal processing probably is the best answer. We are extracting and cultivating many different strains ideally like everything we need each we need to be aware that each one of us may need a specific combination of the herb it's almost like we have a thumbprint for our physiology that works the best using a consulting service is probably a good way to get started for somebody who is a novice to this type of treatment what surprised me is the role of thc in calming and most of us remember the THC being the psychedelic part of the plant once again we're all programmed to believe in something that is that is tainted by a previous history hopefully this podcast will help you understand there's much more to medical marijuana in terms of medicinal effects and benefits rather than the fear of addiction or psychological impairment which I think in today's world alcohol and the opioids create a more of the latter and we seem to have accepted this to be a part and parcel of our culture. It's probably going to be only time before we see medical marijuana as mainstream medicine, though I don't believe we would ever be able to write a prescription for it, given that it is a plant with varied concentrations of these chemicals. Either way, hopefully I've done a reasonably good job in asking the right questions for you and def definitely Dr. Bodo Schneider and Julie have given us phenomenal amount of information for those of us who want to just get started. Without any further delay, here's our conversation with both Dr. Schneider and with Julie. Hi everyone, I'm Dr. Chalam and Marina is also here. We're from Holistic and Integrative Center of Novi and I have with me Dr. Schneider and I have Julie and I'm going to have them introduce themselves. Dr. Schneider, go ahead. My name is Bodo Schneider. I am a uh, medical physician with a background in emergency medicine um, and transitioned into providing uh, cannabis certifications about eight years ago, and now that's what I do full-time. Righty. And Julie? Okay. Hi, I'm Julie Barron. I've been working as a licensed professional counselor and music therapist in Colorado for the past 25 years. I've also been in the cannabis industry in Colorado for the past 25 years. Now I'm working in Michigan as a cannabis counselor and uh, at Blue Sage Health Consulting in Ann Arbor. So as you can already tell, this is going to be about medical marijuana. And a lot of you have been asking me about the use of CBD oil. We'll get to that at a different podcast, but we're going to talk about just in general about the um, use of medical marijuana, what, where is it today, and what to expect uh, with regards to this in the future. So Dr. Schneider, we'll start with you. So 
Let us know how did you get interested from being an emergency room physician to getting into medical marijuana? Well, I had done it for 33 years, emergency medicine, uh-huh. and was starting to think about the transition into something a little less uh, uh, invasive of my time, allowing me to sleep at nighttime. And, Stressful, yeah. And uh, not have people you know, throwing up on my shoes and all the other fun things. That Bleeding all over you. And yeah. all that, yeah. <laughs> so um, I had a friend here whose husband was a um, cannabis grower mm-hmm. and a caregiver under the first caregiver model. And she saw that the uh, physicians were doing a good business and she suggested that I should come up to Michigan. Mm-hmm. I was based around the St. Louis area at the time. Oh, okay. And um, I should come up to Michigan and do this. And I resisted for about two years because I didn't want to have anything to do with drugs. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, it took a while. And then I actually started to look up the information that was used. I'd kept it all. Mm-hmm. I'm a fact rat. I kept all my medical school information and looked up the uh, the uh, chapters that we had used and the information we had used to learn about marijuana. Well, I could skim through that in about thirty seconds because mm-hmm. at that when I graduated where I went through med school back in nineteen seventy eight there wasn't a whole lot of information they were teaching us other than letting us watch Reefer Madness. So it was a Schedule 1 at that time? It's, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, Just so people know, Schedule 1 is there is no known therapeutic benefit, and it's not recommended for medicinal use. Medicinal use. Yeah. Also highly addictive, is that part of And that's part of it, um, being a Schedule 1, mm-hmm. yes. So I then started to look up what other research was out uh, at that point in time, on cannabis and looking at the different ones that dealt with for pulmonary disease, for example, and all of the studies were negative and all of them were poorly designed. They had 29 patients that uh, they used for a study on bronchiectasis, Mm -hmm. which they felt was due to the inhalation of hot gases uh, and the Valsalva-like procedure to retain the smoke to maximize the absorption and yet the very next study talks about the temperature of inhaled gases at the alveolar level Mm -hmm. and all of those show that no matter what the exterior temperature was of the gas inhaled when it got to the alveoli it was Mm 98.6 And so, and those were good studies with thousands of patients, whereas we have one study with 29, mm-hmm. and they're trying to extrapolate from there. So what did the study with the 29 show? That, the, uh, there, that there was a tendency more toward having bronchiectasis. When you use the... When you use cannabis, cannabis. Okay. in a smoked form. Hmm. Yeah. And so that led me to other studies then, and they were all, again, small studies, and um, you could see the bias in there. So I felt that I was being academically lied to. 
Got it. But you know, for I'm just thinking back from a shoe of a ER physician. You probably see a lot of these guys coming with multi-drug use. Yes. Um, a lot of it is opiates, and sometimes I don't know how much were you in an ER where you would see a lot of heroin and cocaine addicts. I uh, I had an interesting ER uh, experience. I I worked part time in a level one trauma center mm -hmm. uh, that saw 128,000 patients a year. Okay. And I spent a lot of time in rural hospitals okay. where they would see maybe 12,000 a year. Okay. So uh, my, my, I saw 100,000 patients in the emergency room over those 33 years. Mm -hmm. And the, uh, the one thing that I never saw was an auto accident, an industrial accident, mm -hmm. or domestic violence in which the only illegal substance on board was marijuana. Oh, yes. <laughs> but methamphetamine and marijuana, yes. Cocaine and marijuana, yes. Um, Adderall. Huge, issues. yes. Mm -hmm. And marijuana, yes. And it took a while for it to dawn on me that they were medicating with marijuana. The meth addicts had been up for three days, four days in a row, couldn't sleep. They were strung out. They used the marijuana to bring them down and sleep. Same okay. with the cocaine, same with the Adderall. Okay. So what was the switch? Like now you're looking at the research, you feel like you're not getting the full truth, but there's also somebody who really has seen the benefits of marijuana feeding you some information, which you're kind of open to mm -hmm. looking at it where was the shift that said okay this is actually this will be something useful that i can do besides just the money part of it it, it, it started out being the money part of it. okay it really did and to be honest mm -hmm. um because i was looking for a transition in my career mm -hmm. and it was probably three years into doing certifications and we started mm -hmm. out um doing them part-time okay. um, coming up for one weekend a month and uh, we were camped out at a, at a office above a dispensary mm -hmm. and um, we were kind of we were the community knew that we were there mm -hmm. and we got word-of-mouth referrals then and uh, after the second year now, we weren't doing great numbers. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we saw 30, 40 in a weekend. Mm -hmm. But uh, it was interesting. Um, it was a little bit dangerous. Yeah. You know, like everybody <laughs> likes to be a little on the edge. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but as, as I talked to these people uh, more and more, and I still remember my very first patient. He was a... Uh, throat cancer survivor mm -hmm. who from the chemotherapy had developed multi-arthralgias and especially in his knees and when he came in to see me the first time he had his little curtain over his stoma and uh, he had two canes because his knee pain was so severe that he couldn't trust himself mm -hmm. just walking that he wouldn't fall how old was he do you remember he was uh, 55 oh yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and his 
and he had been using cannabis already a little bit mm -hmm. illegally mm -hmm. and now it was legal so he wanted to get his card and and uh, he obviously qualified under the yeah. michigan statutes and uh, he got his card back then the cards were only good for one year okay so the second year that i saw him he's walking in with one cane mm -hmm. briskly wow and uh, he says doc you won't believe this I'm playing golf again. Oh wow! You know, now granted, he was in a cart and he drove from shot to shot, but he was out engaging in life, mm -hmm. and that's when the aha came. Yeah, yeah. So from there, when as you um, started, like when you started the certification, did you have um, did you have to follow just the FDA guidelines or? Were there, um, the state of Michigan had guidelines as to who qualified for okay. the program, and that's what you had to follow. And so they had to bring documentation, and we do a brief regional exam depending on, on their mm -hmm. diagnosis. Okay, and then you just decide. And do you, did you at that time have different uh, ways to give them the medication, like the tar, the oil? Well, it, again, we, we are in this funny zone. Right. Okay. Right. It's still a Schedule One. So we cannot prescribe or advise. Correct. Okay. That's true. That's true. So we all we recommend. All, no, we couldn't even do that. Well, yeah, they called it a recommendation at that time. Yeah. yeah. So what we did is we told the state mm -hmm. in our certification or our recommendation that this patient has X diagnosis and that that diagnosis is one that the state recognizes for participation in the program. And the way it's set up, it was basically, here's your certification. Here you go. Got it. And so these patients would come to you, get a certification, and they were there on their own to yes. figure out what they were going to yes. buy and use. And this is where, Julie, you come in. So yes. tell us your, um, you know, entry into this field um, from music to marijuana? Well, <clears throat> I have always been a big fan of cannabis, personally. Um, so it's not a huge stretch for me. Um, when I was living in Colorado, I kept those two things very separate, right? Mm -hmm. um, but coming to Michigan, I made the ultimate decision to put the two things together, the two passions that I really loved and put them together. Um, so that's really how. Um, I started doing cannabis counseling. Mm -hmm. um, but from, you know, carrying on what we were just talking about is one of the things that we were noticing at Bloom City Club in Ann Arbor was that, that exact thing. You get the recommendation from the doctor, you get your card in the mail, and then what? You walk into a provisioning center or dispensary, and you're, you have no idea what you're doing. And the person you're asking is a salesperson behind the counter. Correct. And that's a problem. You're looking for, you know, help um, with health information. You're, you know, you might have uh, medications you're wondering if there's interactions with. And um, the salespeople, and I have to say at Bloom City Club specifically, are incredibly knowledgeable. And I've seen incredible um, salespeople at all other dispensaries, but you don't know. And that is not the right time and place necessarily mm -hmm. to be asking for health information. Um, and so uh, we saw this as a big problem. And that's why we started Blue Sage Health Consulting was to provide a place where um, someone can sit down with you. In our case, a counselor, myself, who will sit down with you and go over what are you looking to achieve with cannabis? 
Um, what symptoms are you looking to achieve? What was your qualifying condition? Um, then we will help with um, dosage information. We'll help with protocols. And then we'll help actually match people with product. So I will walk with the client next door to the provisioning center and I will help pick them out, you know, help them pick out the product that they're mm -hmm. looking for because there's just so many options. And it's really um, guiding the patients through the process. Okay. Yeah. So as of today, it's still a schedule one. Yes. And um, so you still cannot prescribe it. And Correct. I don't think anytime soon we're going to be able to prescribe it, despite the, right. you know, I, I think people get confused about it is legal. So what does it mean that medical marijuana is legal? It's just that you won't get arrested for possessing it? Uh, now that Michigan is recreational, yeah. that's precisely what it means. Okay. okay? Uh, there are still limits how much you can have on your person. You know, you can't carry a hay bale with you and, and expect the police not to think that you are delivering. Right. Um, but it allows, it, it, it takes away the uh, number of court cases or minor um, instances of just use or um, for, rec for recreational use. And so we're not, we won't be filling up our jails with people who really didn't commit anything very Any crime with it. Right. So let me ask you this, like um, alcohol when you're driving is an offense, no matter what, even though it's a legal right. uh, substance. Is it the same with marijuana? It should be. Okay. It should be. And the, the studies really are not out there, and unfortunately they can't um, do them on the same level as alcohol because different levels affect people differently. Yes. So it's mm -hmm. not, there's not that straight Oh, 0.08. You're right. Alcohol. It's about, yeah. yeah. That you're impaired. Uh, with cannabis, it's very different. And people, as they gain cannabis, ex cannabis experience, uh, have fewer of the motor impairment. Uh, interestingly enough, at a recent conference that the Green Wolverines put on at the uh, University of Michigan, an NIH researcher was there to provide data. Of impairment and it was very interesting to see how they've done it and it seems very very real mm -hmm. and, and so the challenge from that is then to determine just what is impairment because no one has identified the level versus uh, BMI you know do we use a body mass index do we use um, the same uh, finger, nose, walk the line. Do you, does the body mass index actually affect the amount? I mean, is there a test now to check the levels and correlate it to a BMI? The, maybe. Okay. <laughs> okay. And, and the reason I say maybe is because of the way that cannabis is stored in the body. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It is lipophilic, and so mm -hmm. it tends to be more stored in fat cells. Uh, and so people who have higher um, BMIs will store more. It, and again, it, depending on what their use is, mm -hmm. um, how much use versus in between uses. And there's a lot of factors that go into determining exactly what their blood load is going to be and how long they'll have it. Okay. But also, um, like for instance, when you look at, uh, let's talk about what medical marijuana is. When, you, when you're telling someone you can use this for medicinal purposes, 
um, if you look at marijuana, it has a lot of substances in it that are considered therapeutic for different conditions. Yes. And a combination of these substances is more therapeutic for one condition over the other. So when you are uh, looking at an individual using it, it's the potential for one of those substances causing an adverse reaction and then or mentally impairing them is more than the other, correct? Like somebody who's taking totally only CBD and if it is of the um, prescription strength, or I don't know what to call it, not, not the one that you buy online from a store, but you're going to a medicinal, yeah, medicinal product, would have a different impact, though CBD receptors are there in the brain also. Isn't that different from the THC? The, the CBD effect is different than the THC effect. Yes. Um, and one effect can affect the other. For example, the CBD can decrease the amount of uh, euphoria produced, produced by, the by the THC. Yes. So, yes, they do interact from that standpoint. Um, it's almost well, like, um, so alcohol, for instance, people drink beer, wine, vodka, whiskey. Mm -hmm. They're all different concentrations of alcohol. It's the same thing with, it's going to be with medical marijuana. It's going to be different concentrations of the CBD and the THC, right? Right. Well, but what we don't understand is, first of all, the, the cannabis plant is more complex than just those two cannabinoids. Correct. Um, the NIH uh, researcher identified 108 100. Okay. different ones. I have seen 150 in other places. Wow. So the different strains have a different collection of co-cannabinoids, mm -hmm. and those co-cannabinoids affect how THC affects that person, uh, which is why with over 5,000 different strains available now, um, some people find one that's almost like a fingerprint right. identity for their condition and for, for their use. So let me ask you this. If, I, if there's a physician who's listening to this and says, there's no way I'm going to ever recommend, because they, none of us can prescribe it, I would ever recommend. How would you begin the education for that physician? Let, let's say, why even talk about medical marijuana? Where, where's the need for adding in yet another drug to our, um, you know, collection of drugs that we've been using? Well, there's going to be new drugs added all the time anyway. Yes. But why right. medical marijuana? Something that has been a taboo for all these years. Two, a couple of reasons. One is the um, almost non-existent toxicity. We have, and again, um, I have brought with me yeah. a, uh, a educational video uh, thing that was produced by the Department of Health of the United States government. And they talk about the adverse effects, and uh, what they don't tell you is that the CDC contradicts it. The uh, CDC has never had a single death due to the use of THC. It well, has, actually, the single, I was looking at the studies, and it says there's not a single a case of overdose with um, marijuana, and they're not even talking about medical marijuana. Yeah, they're they, talking about they, marijuana uh, in general. They uh, have done mice studies, 
using the same protocols that they use to test all drugs that are being administered to, to humans and uh, to figure out what the lethal dose of that drug is. Um, and it was almost uh, comical to listen to the researchers talk about their efforts to find the toxicity level of the THC. Mm -hmm. uh, when they infused it IV, it turns out that the uh, material that they used to carry the THC in the infusion was more toxic than the <laughs> THC. So it was a real uh, challenge to make that determination, which they finally came up with something and it's roughly about 1,500 pounds of THC, mm -hmm. um, which if you bought that on the street, would cost about $7.2 million. Mm -hmm. So it's an expensive suicide. Um, and there's not too many people on this, in this country that can afford that. How you right? That not to mention how you would consume it. Yeah. Right. Well, it, it's roughly the same weight equivalent as the rolled up hay bales in the field. Mm -hmm. If you push two of those together, wrap them in paper, go for it. <laughs> Have a huge space so to put it in a movie next time. <laughs> okay. So that, that is one reason if I were speaking to you. A bonfire with it. <laughs> <laughs> around. Well, you don't, you don't think that's happening. Yeah. <laughs> Just ask any uh, law enforcement right. agency when they burn the evidence. <laughs> we're all downwind. I'd <laughs> Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's, that's one reason why I would suggest to fellow physicians consider this. And, and then the other method, um, I hearken back to a story told to me by my father, which dealt with a city businessman deciding he's going to be a gentleman farmer. And so he gets his farm and he buys all the livestock. And he has horses, and someone told him to have horses, he should get a donkey. So he goes and he buys his donkey, and he is leading this donkey back to his farm, and all of a sudden the donkey stops, squats, sits down, won't budge. And the gentleman farmer didn't have a lot of patience and began abusing the donkey, oh. beating it to try to make it go. And a farmer who was driving by stopped, pulled over, and said, What are you doing? And he said, I'm trying to get this donkey to go. He said, you can't do that. You have to be gentle and kind to them and, and show them understanding. And they'll do anything you want. Oh, fine. You do it. Mm -hmm. said, okay. So the farmer goes to his pickup truck, reaches in the back and pulls out a two-by-four, comes to the donkey and cracks it over the donkey's head. And the gentleman farmer says, what? This is gentle? He said, well, you have to get their attention first. <laughs> <laughs> so, in many ways, I feel that, you know, I need to crack some of these physicians over the head. Right, right. But uh, um, knowing that I would be getting free room and board if I did that, yeah. I, I'm yeah. not going to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, three meals a day. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the bigger challenges, I think, I, I having being a traditional physician and now opening my, you know, eyes and brain to other options and really the reason my transition to functional medicine came because people see me year after year for the same problem and what I've noticed is people's problems get worse with the same treatment that I've been taught in medical school. Mm -hmm. So when functional medicine was something that I came upon it was like 
it was an eye opener. It's like we're just looking at it not so smart. We're looking at a problem, we're giving a drug, and we are maintaining the problem at a level that's not as yet lethal, but at some point it may get out of it. I mean, we tell our patients, you have high blood pressure, you have diabetes, you're at a risk for a heart attack. But I don't know how to prevent a heart attack. We say the best way is to control your sugar and your blood pressure and stop smoking. Great, but yet they still line up. If not heart attack, they get dementia. So it's not a very smart way we work in medicine. What we have to look at, how do you repair the system that you don't have these diseases? That's what functional medicine is all about. So for me, medical marijuana is something that I'm told, or I should say marijuana, something that I was told is a schedule one. And you have this whole advertisement from the early 70s, I think, the mad reefer that you mentioned briefly. That was from the, 1928. 1928, the yeah. movie. Um, the that, movie was, I, can't, I don't remember exactly when the movie I mean, was. You could be right. It was very early, but they had about how marijuana actually changes people's character, makes them commit murders, um, gets them addicted. So you have this image a public yeah, image and then yeah you, we're kind of we're getting programmed to believe that these things are not useful and i can say speaking to fellow physicians it's almost unshakable what they are willing to uh, even um listen to when it comes to medical marijuana so let's go into can you tell me what medical marijuana is for somebody like a physician who doesn't know and also the system um the uh, cannabinoid system in our brain and in our body that we're actually trying to stimulate or work with when we use this? Well, the, the endocannabinoid system, um, parts of which were actually identified way back in uh, 1963 by Mecham, and then in 1980-something, um, they actually identified the receptors. Okay. okay. Uh, and we had no idea what it was there for. We, do, we knew we produced a uh, protein called anadamide that clung to these receptors. Mm -hmm. um, we knew that when we ingested marijuana or inhaled marijuana, mm -hmm. it would also uh, could be identified on these receptors. Uh, and then they improved that to knowing that there's two kinds of marijuana receptors so far, okay. CBD1 and CBD2. Then it seemed that the CBD1 was more prolific in the central nervous system, um, although in the, ex in the uh, periphery as well. Mm -hmm. And CBD2 was more prolific in the gut, but also in, a, in, in the, the brain. brain. They also I found that there were no uh, cannabinoid receptors in the uh, hindbrain, in the area that controls respiration. Okay. Okay. And the result of that finding is, correlates, again, to the observed findings, which are not scientifically been observed, but there's not been any respiratory depression due to cannabis. Unlike okay. opiates. Exactly. And the other corollary from that is that the uh, receptors are unique to cannabis and that the cannabis was not found to be on any other receptors. So it was not displacing 
any any That's other medicine. Know. So it's not going to give you an artificially elevated level of another drug. Or another enzyme or another hormone. Mm -hmm. Yet the Department of Health uh, educational material says that the use of cannabis may, may, not does, may increase um, benzodiazepine levels. Mm-hmm. Okay. As one interaction. Um, and, and again, that so the benzodiazepines actually uh, hook onto the GABA, right? Mm -hmm. And GABA is very different from the uh, CB receptors. Mm -hmm. So they're very different yes. when you really look at it. And when I was looking at the uh, production or what does marijuana actually do is they actually create on-demand the cannabinoids. It's not like mm -hmm. it's produced in vesicles and... Um, stored. stored and excreted out, but it actually produces because it's lipophilic as opposed to hydrophilic, which is it's not water soluble but more fat soluble. So when you get it stimulated, it actually produces this, and there is a negative um, feedback, loop. feedback loop. So you don't necessarily get uncontrolled, and that's why it's not very toxic because right. there's some internal regulation. So, when you talk about the CBD1, CBD2, so as a practitioner who would recommend these, how does that impact uh, how, what conditions you're going to recommend it for? Or do you just follow the FDA guidelines at that point? There are no FDA guidelines. There are no FDA guidelines at all? Or there are no FDA, um, I should say, authorized conditions that can be used for? From the FDA, no. No, okay. Yeah, the, the conditions all come from the states. Although, oh, wow. although the U.S. government has, uh, when it patented the plant, mm -hmm. uh, said that it had medicinal use for conditions like multiple sclerosis, um, chronic pain, I think it was another Does one. Is it a traumatic brain injury one of those? Because it's a... It is in Illinois, mm -hmm. specifically. Uh, in the state of Michigan, chronic pain uh, and chronic headaches would then fall under chronic pain, and that's how they pull TBI into it, uh, or CTE if you're a football player. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, but we've had great success using cannabis in those conditions. Um, cluster migraines, refractory to almost any migraine medicine that has been... Including Botox? Including Botox. Um, but you have fewer wrinkles with Botox. <laughs> in your neck. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, the uh, CBD has been shown to be hugely effective, long-term use, in reducing the number of headaches and the intensity and the THC actually has been shown to be able to abort the migraine when it's in the aura stage. Mm. Okay. So, um, when, so, again, getting back to when people get to use these, um, are these somehow, because we have it within us, this, this mm. natural um, production of these substances, when you give from the outside are you shutting off your own system we don't know okay that's a, that's a very good question um there i have and is our system out of balance 
now. And that's another conjecture that's been put forth. Um, and there's been some suggestion that our food supply mm-hmm. may be responsible for that as we have increased the amount of uh, hormones used for raising beef and pork and use of antibiotics in, in those animals as well. Um, have we somehow altered our own endocannabinoid system? And is it now deficient? And that's why the use of exogenous uh, cannabinoids is necessary. Okay. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Um, I have a personal theory that we're going to find out that the endocannabinoid system is our internal healing system. It monitors everything else. It can say, hey, there's cancer there. Let's kill it. And so let's send the T cells there and do that. But we've somehow lost that ability. So when I was listening, I'm mean, uh, looking at the physiology of the endocannabinoid system, they do look at it as something that maintains homeostasis. So yes. no matter what stress you are under, somehow the body is able to maintain its internal peace. Mm-hmm. Um, and when that gets disrupted, you have diseases to some degree. Diseases, I, I, okay. Like for instance, schizophrenia. It's, it's, it's a definition. Yeah. Okay. Diseases. Ease state. Okay. Right. I like that. <laughs> I like that. Well, I was thinking of disease in terms of infection. Oh, okay. Infection comes from an external. Right. right. But on, on internal, like, uh, well, let's, let's do mental health. Okay. There are some strains that have been shown in, in England, this is primarily where it's been seen, that will um, unmask schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. Okay? And particularly the skunk and super skunk strains have been shown to be more, they're both sativas, mm-hmm. uh, tend to unmask that. But what they don't answer is, are these people that were already on that pathway? Mm-hmm. Were they, you know, is the history strong in their family for having um, uh, schizophrenia uh, or is it just now that they're using the cannabis and I suggest that it is because it's going to be unmasked soon anyway and it's just unmasked sooner but isn't it also used for the treatment of schizophrenia um, not by any practitioners okay okay but do schizophrenics go and buy a specific strain and they do yes and they actually feel better than their regular medications and yes they do they find that they have and this is more of the bipolars they find that they have fewer mood mood swings yes that they are calmer uh they're sleeping better and so that's removing one of the stressors that can um accentuate or uh, stimulate a flare mm-hmm. so um, yes they are yeah. and, okay. and and the one thing and again this goes back to an observation of mine now after being doing after doing this for eight years is that people self-medicate all, all the time. time and for years and, for and centuries and was, yes and for us as physicians to think that we're the source <laughs> of uh, of treatment you know we we can't compete with grandma we can't compete with the freedom of people wanting to get a solution for their problem. Absolutely. 
And and this speaks to the opioid crisis. Yes, yes. Um, and I'm going to put a plug in here for something, if you don't mind. Uh, we have seen the the rise in opioid abuse. Okay. We saw a rise in the opioid prescriptions, which seemed to be a corollary or one, you know, same. Um, the source of that, we have to look back to about 1990 when the first paper came out from a neurologist who said that we were under-treating pain. Correct. And I would never blame doctors because I do remember in the early 90s, the pain scale came into the hospital system, mm -hmm. the smiley faces. Oh, that's and, science. Yeah. No, that, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, we had to treat everybody who had pain because it was the vital sign. It was considered a vital, fifth sign, vital sign, the fifth vital sign. Right. And if somebody was untreated, it was almost criminal. And it, it was almost like we did not do our job. Well, more than that, the uh, Joint Commission of Hospital Accreditation yes. bought into it. Yes. And as they were going around hospitals accrediting them for their lower insurance rates, they were dunning physicians who were not addressing the pain of the patient. Correct. So there had to be a line in the uh, chart, patient's pain is 8. Out of 10. Yes. Yes. And I did this. Yes. Well, Over in, five, you had to treat it. Yes. Right. <laughs> and so... Um, Interestingly enough, Kaiser Permanente, which is a uh, closed HMO out in California, did a study on uh, prescriptions, and in 1990, or the, uh, the number of deaths due to opioids, mm -hmm. yes. and in 1990, when they started the uh, study, um, there were 1,700 opioid deaths due to synthetics and semi-synthetics opioids. There were, um, I think, fifteen or 1,800 due to methadone. Yeah. And there were 800 heroin deaths. Mm. From 1990 until 2010, under this government-encouraged uh, pain management, and bear in mind that 75% of all opioids were written by primary care physicians, and the rest were then done by pain management specialists who didn't exist mm, yes, in 1990. It wasn't even yeah, a profession. It wasn't even a, a separate uh, specialty yeah, at the and point. And anesthesiologists just put them to sleep. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. No. So yeah. By, night, by 2010 then, the number of deaths due to semi-synthetic and synthetic opioids had risen to 10,900. The number of methadone deaths had risen to 5,500. Heroin had risen to 4,300. Okay. We can't take responsibility for heroin. So what, happens in, <laughs> what happened in 2010? The DEA stepped in. Yeah. We're going to solve this. Yeah. So they started going around to physician offices and intimidating the physicians not to write opioids. Wow. So the net effect of that is that you have not changed the population that needs pain relief, but you are shrinking the supply. 
Right. And people, as we just talked about earlier, will do anything to get out of pain. And if you're not going to give it to me as my physician, I'm going to get it from my cousin. I'm going to get it from my sister. Um, and then they know somebody on the street I can buy them from. And they did. Except they found out how expensive it was to buy opioids on the street. So somebody shows them a little cigarette that they can smoke. Oh, my God. It's heroin. But they get great pain relief, and they get a euphoria. Hey, not only do I feel good, but this is fun. And that's where the heroin use spiked. Okay. Got it. And so in 2017, opioid, semi-synthetic opioid uh, deaths had risen to 12,700. Methadone had fallen to 3,300, but heroin was at 14,000. So you can see why a physician has a problem now using medical marijuana, because now we're trying to say, let's replace these drugs with this. So they're all going on the same vein mm-hmm. of, um, you know, um, a scheduled drug uh, being replaced by another scheduled drug just because now it's um, mm-hmm. legalized to some degree. The stigma is still there. Yeah. But in my experience now, I'm into year three of doing the certifications, and I'm getting a lot of repeat patients coming back now. Sure. And it, I'm noticing that many of them are saying, you know, I stopped using my Norco. Mm -hmm. I'm down to one Norco a day. Mm -hmm. And the light goes on. Dim boulder first, you know. (laughs) But But, but there it was. And, and, you know, for my entire career in the emergency room, we had this constant conflict with patients wanting pain medicines. Pain medicines, yes. yes. And uh, so we were always at loggerheads with them. And here, suddenly I see something that, um, hey, this might be the long-term answer because these people are telling me they're getting the same relief, if not better, and they're happier, they're re-engaged into life, and it's non-toxic. Which doesn't actually happen with opiates. Actually, they don't get re-engaged in the That's life. right. They uh, shuffle off to the corner and mm-hmm, right. wait for the next dose. Yes. And I, I think this would be a great study for somebody who's in the ER to see if the uh, visits to the ER have reduced for medication refills or med- medications in general because they have access to something different and more affordable. The bigger studies that are out now are showing that in states that have medicinal marijuana, that the number of opioid prescriptions have fallen by 15 to 20%. Mm-hmm. So in a bigger sense, what you just suggested has already been measured. Yeah, but what about the, uh, so there are also studies that are coming up saying in the states in which it has been legalized for recreational use as well as medical use, the incidence of um, car accidents and more crime has gone up. Is there any truth to that? I've seen research on both sides of that. Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, and Colorado yeah. is kind of the benchmark. Yeah, yeah. Um, and initially, they, well, no, actually, after it had gone recreational, 
they were continuing to see a decrease in the number of violent crimes. Violent crimes, okay. Okay. Uh, the number of auto accidents, I, I can't speak to. Well, medical marijuana, I mean, or marijuana goes along with some other drug always. So how do you say it's because of this? That's the exact question I asked in a seminar out in California on cannabis. Right. Uh, when someone was introducing, well, we're seeing a rise in the number of patients who had uh, been using marijuana and were in auto accidents. And so I asked him, you know, what other substances were on board? Mm -hmm. And he couldn't answer me that. Yeah, yeah. But going back to my my history in seeing a hundred thousand patients in the emergency room over thirty three years, I can't recall a single accident in which the only drug on board was marijuana. Right, that's true. And and if you talk to troopers, they themselves will say, "Well, we know who was on meth and who was using cannabis." Yeah, yeah. The uh, meth guys were speeding and lost control. And the cannabis people got hit from behind. <laughs> this is not quick enough to respond. <laughs> well, they were stopped at a green light saying, oh, that's a nice color. <laughs> but we, we make fun of that. Like, I really shouldn't. But uh, yeah. even the troopers' observations are that the cannabis crowd is not... The violent. They're not the hyper, uncontrollable. Right kind so they go to a doc like him get a certification and then then they are trying to figure out where do i get the best quality um everybody who has reached out to me tells me theirs is the purest form so what are we talking about when it comes to purity of um you know a cannabis in general um what can it be mixed or how can it be impure if it's from a plant is it the way it's extracted or the um the vehicle in which it is made i don't know what what does purity mean well i would say starting off with the plant itself mm -hmm. how it's being grown uh what's being used as fertilizer as a um a base to grow in and all of those things um are there pesticides being put on it and there's that so that's the beginning of it um, and then the extraction process. There are some preferred extraction processes and some not so much. So there's so many different ways of doing it. Um, there's extraction processes that pull out just the THC, for example, or just okay. the CBD or, you know, one particular cannabinoid. And then there's some that pull out um, all of them. Um, Where did they pull it out from? Which part of the plant? It's the resin on the flower okay. that has the most amount of cannabinoids. Okay. Um, However, I, you know, I have heard quite a bit that there are um, people that try to extract cannabinoids from all different parts of the plant. Right. So I guess it, that, again, sourcing really matters because are you sourcing from someone that knows what they're doing and is taking it from the part of the plant that you want it to be sourced from? Um, so the extraction process itself and then, um, and then what, what are they mixing with it, right? Yes. Once it's put into a product... Um, are they, you know, if it's in a vape, um, a vaporizer oil, are they putting in, um, propylene glycol? Are they mm -hmm. putting in different things to make it easier, um, to, you know, have bigger clouds of, of, um, of the vapor? Okay. Um, are wants, they, I mean, who would want to know that you're smoking and doesn't it have a distinct smell? 
Um, it does have a distinct smell. You know, the vaporizer oils have less of a smell okay. than vaporizing the flower. Um, there's a whole, you know, movement out there, a vape movement, more in the, you know, the nicotine um, scene that really, they, it's a big deal. They really want to see their biggest smoke. I mean, it's, you know. Um, there was a time when we would hide and smoke. <laughs> yeah, you're thinking we want the opposite. And I, yes, I understand. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then there's different food products, you know, just like any other product you could put you know there could be who knows what's in that food i you know typically don't recommend anything with sugar in it as a medicinal product you know mm -hmm. i consider that you know something that's not great so i can just get a marijuana plant and chew on the leaf and expect to get high no no cocoa plant, yes <laughs> yeah you could still you, you could you could eat the leaf you can juice or eat the leaves and the flowers and use it medicinally you're still getting the thca potentially you know any one of the cannabinoids in their raw form have an A at the end, CBDA, CBCA, CBGA, THCA. Okay. Um, that's what you'd be getting. You won't get high from it. So we can have a morning smoothie with a little of the marijuana. You so can, there, and I recommend it. And, and here, here is one precaution that probably makes sense. Okay. Um, going back to the Department of Health interactions, they suggested that the use of cannabis would raise an INR. Mm. And I would have to say that they're being broad now if you had a smoothie that included the leaves mm -hmm. then the chances there it would actually lower the mm -hmm. INR because then you have the vitamin K effect of uh, the green plant so for people who don't understand what the INR is the international normalized ratio we're really looking at the uh, thinning of the blood people might well, have, therapeutically know, are on yeah. medicine to thin their blood like you know. on coumadin not right now coumadin is antiquated except in certain situations uh, we have a newer like aliquis and yeah, as an emergency room physician they scared the bejesus out of me about not using coumadin and using no, other uh, using eloquence yeah. and, and and those yeah. because there was no turning back with with coumadin you could at least administer vitamin K and, true, and, but, and bring down the bleeding time rapidly. It's not like people are beating their heads on the floor and bleeding every day. I mean, the chances of them, I think the complications are more from their multiple medical issues. Like when you are giving somebody committed for a DVT or atrial fibrillation, this person very rarely has lone atrial fibrillation or only... Um, DVT, they usually have diabetes, they have high inflammatory state, they have cardiovascular disease. So just about giving them any medicine is going to increase the risk for a complication from that medicine. Mm -hmm. That's why medication interaction and medication problems are the third leading cause of death today in this country. Right. And again, getting back to the uh, Kaiser Permanente study, you know, here we're talking about a total number of deaths of uh, in like 2017, 14,000 from heroin, 3,000 from methadone, and uh, 12,000 from uh, synthetics and semi-synthetics. So a total of, what, in the mid-20s? Yeah. And yet medication errors in hospitals. 250,000. Right. Yeah. And there, there's a recent uh, University of Michigan study of the number of deaths of patients who were discharged from the hospital and died. Yeah. within a certain within a week we're the biggest weeks. drug dealers give, give it give i mean mds have to take credit for being the greatest legal drug dealers without actually knowing it right we we think that they are well in many cases uh if you're not 
in any way surgical, it's the only weapon you have. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's the only instantaneous relief I can give you. And we have all these studies that show what that action of that medicine is. And, and so we're using our educations, we thought, yes. in the most um, beneficial way for that patient. Uh, remember again, when I was an intern, we had a, a physician by the name of Hoffman. Mm -hmm. You could always tell one of his patients when they came in, because they were on over 10 medicines. Mm -hmm. And it was like, well, they had one for high blood pressure, one for, and this is before the day of Lipitor. Um, I'm giving my age away. <laughs> but uh, they had one for diabetes, or maybe two for diabetes, and then something for depression. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and then the it's rest of the also for day, acid reflux is another very common one. I think everybody was on Zantac at one time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so they started chasing the side effects of the previous drug that they just prescribed. And that's how they wound up. I saw a patient with 24 different prescription oh, medicines. That's nothing. I, mean, <laughs> I how, did nursing homes. How do you keep track <laughs> oh, of that? Yes. We did 36 medicines in one person. I mean, it was, it, it literally gave me anxiety to reconcile a patient's medication list. And I would have family members saying, she needs this, she needs that. And I'm like, I'm sitting there thinking, no, she doesn't need anything. She does not need even one of this. Mm -hmm. Not one of them are life-saving medications. Mm -hmm. But that's the culture we have created. Mm -hmm. Even now, I would say, um, I mean, we're going to get into a little more detail about the CBD and the trials that uh, or studies behind it. But I want to tell you this. When I, I do a different, I have a side gig where I see a lot of uh, people with acute uh, stress acute depression. So I had a kid that said uh, his grandma died and he needed to be an antidepressant. I said, when did she die? Yesterday. And I can't go and help. I need something. I said, what you feel is grief. That's not depression. We've almost become a culture that cannot differentiate between depression and grief, between stress and anxiety. We have decided all these negative emotions that we experience are pathological. And to actually educate people and let them know it's having a negative emotion is actually normal has been my biggest challenge. And I, I have to say, in, in all these patients I have seen, um, I'm the one who winds up educating them as to why they're on certain medicines. Yeah, that's that's another part of it because yeah, and 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 you know, they a lot of criticism goes on the doctors who have been doing the certifications that they're not establishing a patient relationship and so forth. <laughs> well, it it takes me forty five minutes. You can ask my uh, son there yeah. who's urging me to move faster. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But these patients have to have an understanding. Yeah. Of what's going on. A lot of them with the cancers even yeah. don't know why they have these side effects now or these complications. Right. Um, so we, I spend a lot of time in. But in physicians have only about 15 minutes. They have this humongous, the patients walk in with a whole list of problems. They tell you, my back hurts. And when I take my Tylenol, it helps with the back, but it doesn't help my headache. So the physician is scrambling around to see what can I do to help his headache. 
And in that 10 minutes, whatever they can think of doing is what they're going to do. So I think we have, the system is broken. And I don't think anybody denies that. Whether it be doctors, they don't deny it. Patients don't deny it. There is absolutely no time. And the second thing I would say, some patients don't want to be educated. When you're the first person you who are educating, they're going to look at you and like, what's wrong with you? I just came to you for a drug. Why don't right. you just give it to me? Exactly. You know, so there's a lot of education that needs to go into it. And I don't think we're, you know, it is slowly shifting, but it has to shift from the consumer standpoint. It's not physicians who can change it. We can be available for those patients who want to change. I tell people I'm your alternative option when you are sick and tired of being sick and tired. Well, I, I think we're philosophizing now, but physicians all suffer from low T. <laughs> and by that, I mean, we're the ones with the education. That is true, but not with the time. We have the but, knowledge, but not the power. Uh, well, we let, we let the t power go away. Wait, yes, we did. It's time to pull it back. And yeah. we, Insurance companies don't make decisions in the best interest of that patient because right. they don't know that patient. That's right. Patients don't know what medicines are best for them just because they Googled it. And the Google's another big but that's a whole different topic. Um, and multi-practice, multi-physician practices have decreased patients' uh, treatments or patient satisfaction. Correct. Because Correct. of the, you only have 15 minutes, you need to see 60 patients, all this. And, and that's why I'm grateful for my situation because right. I'm my own boss. And the only person I upset by taking too long with this patient is the patient who's coming next. next. Coming. And I, I yeah. totally agree. I mean, I know we're going to, we're segueing away from what we wanted to talk about. So let's talk about the THC's therapeutic use and CBDs. So first of all, medical marijuana, I know you said there are a hundred different cannabinoids. What is the one that people predominantly talk about and the, the two featured ones are THC and CBD okay right and, now. yeah and so when you look at the therapeutic uses where does THC fall with a CBD are I'm assuming there are combinations where one is more than the other mm -hmm. well I, I begin by helping and I know she does too yes helping the patient understand what THC can do okay and it basically has about five things that it's principally good at. One is reducing anxiety. Okay. And not just social anxieties, but anxiety of pain, anxiety of a diagnosis. Uh, you know, like cancer patients, I can't believe I have cancer. And they are constantly in a state of stress Turmoil. because of that. And it helps them come to terms with that. Nausea, it is the best anti-nausea medicine without side effects. Online so friend, yeah. <laughs> or Phenergan or Compazine, yeah. yeah, the old standbys, or Vistril, God, what happened to Vistril? Uh, yeah. Um, well, yeah, they got rid of that because they couldn't make a profit on it. Oh, uh, yeah, Vistril is still available, yeah. Yeah, hydroxyzine is mm -hmm. a pill. Yes. But you can't mix it with Demerol anymore. Yeah, but, uh, is it because Demerol is not available? That too. Yeah. 
Well, it started out with withdrawal, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Never mind. But the other thing it helps with is uh, muscle relaxation. Mm-hmm. And not only skeletal muscle, but also smooth muscle. So, you know, the people who are having spasms from pain, it helps with that. People who are having gut spasms from Crohn's, inflammatory bowel disease, uh, uh, irritable bowel, ulcerative colitis, it helps uh, reduce the amount of muscle spasm and rolling and everything that the stomach does. So it helps with that. It helps with sleep. Um, And in sleep, it is a... uh, uh, stage four inhibitor, so people who have trouble with dreams, PTSD patients, it helps them get a night's sleep without a nightmare. Um, and, and people who are just insomniacs also benefit from that. And then last... And the THC? And the THC. Mm-hmm. And then the uh, last thing is in pain. It is a pain distractor, or as, and I'll quote Dr. Claw here from the U of M, head of anesthesia and pain management, who has a uh, pain model of an electric guitar. Mm-hmm. And if your pain is loud, it's like the pain from the, your knees, let's say you have arthritis, mm-hmm. it's like somebody is really strumming the guitar real, real mm-hmm. hard. And that's where the CBD, we'll talk about that in a second. Oh, metal, heavy metal. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. And... So the CBD decreases the, how hard it's being strummed. Mm. The THC turns the amplifier down. Okay. And so the cortical perception of the pain signals that it's receiving is dampened. And so that's how THC helps with pain. It kind of distracts the patient from the pain. And so they're able to function without ruminating on their pain. So is it almost like the tremadol of the opiate, where it's a little more central and kind of diminishes? Because we used to give tremadol freely to our elderly mm-hmm. at one time before it became controlled. We yeah. realized, well, we have an addiction potential with that too. Yeah, and a seizure. And a seizure, yes. Yeah. But uh, it is it's different it's than, different. than tremadol. So Trem- tremadol is still on the opioid model because it's binding opioid sites. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And this kind of gives a, dortic- a cortical detachment from the pain signal. So how does the THC work different from the CBD? In, in the- well, the CBD it seems to work at the point of pain. Okay. Okay. So it reduces the amount of um, pain signals that are, are coming from the, the area, from the joint or from the area. Um, and it acts as an anti-inflammatory also. And that's important to people with arthritis, uh, autoimmune versus osteo, all, all of those. And surprisingly, it's an anti-inflammatory for the gut as well. Mm-hmm. And every type of inflammatory bowel disease responds to it. I've got over six dozen Crohn's patients in remission off of mm-hmm. everything. Including Just, their immunomodulators. Yes. Yeah just on the CBDs, yeah. and they're going two, three years without having flares. That's because it works both with the white cells as well as with the nerves, probably? We don't know. I'm not going to conjecture. Yeah. But they do have colonoscopies and endoscopies in which they no longer have lesions. Mm. So this is healing. Yes. It's not treating. Yes. It's, a, it's a whole different bend of the mind if you will but healing would be in my mind 
that they used CBD for two to three years and then they were able to stop and they were healed. They're not and using it. And that's starting to be my observation. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that would be true healing when you really yeah. look at it. I know people get confused, but they come and tell me, I stopped gluten, I stopped eggs, I stopped milk, my lupus is better, but it, um, lupus is cured. It's cured if you're able to eat gluten, milk, and eggs and not flare up. Exactly. And I think you need to, uh, yeah, you're controlling it by other modalities other than mm -hmm. drugs. And so it's the same question that comes with CBD. So with the THC, now, Julie, for you, the recreational marijuana has about 10 to 30% of it is THC. So what does the medical marijuana have and who would you, like when he writes, a, let's say for a person with um, multiple sclerosis or with um, severe anxiety or, you know, kind of crippling anxiety, depression comes to you. Um, what is the percentage of the THC compared to recreational and why would they worry about it? Well, you know, I don't separate it like that. I have okay. to be honest. Um, medical marijuana can equally, can have as much THC as recreational marijuana. Okay. And it's not so much about that. Um, it's more about um, what each specific person needs in, mm -hmm. in, in any given situation. Um, there are patients of mine who require high levels of THC, whether that's pain relief or, you know, reducing muscle spasms. It's really, um, I've gotten away from that model of, oh, um, you have depression, this is what you're going to use. Yeah. You have, yeah. you know, um, your pain, this is what you're going to use. It's really different for everybody. I do say, however, that, you know, I like, you know, overall. Mm -hmm. Medicinal marijuana is going to have a little bit of a better balance between the cannabinoids. You know, I'd love to see as much cannabinoids in any particular variety or any particular product as possible because I think they all work together to provide a really nice effect for that's people. A, what you a, call as a full spectrum? No, that's yeah. the entourage. Entourage effect. Okay. Yes, yeah. the entourage effect. Yeah. It's the same nutrition, really. And again, if you look back through history, uh, the medicine men and, and the healers of old they all used cannabis and we see these cannabinoid drugs coming out uh, gw pharmaceuticals out of great britain for example has just uh gotten epidiol epidolite or something like that epidiolex uh, approved for the use in dravet syndrome and another seizure syndrome and what we're going to find is that it's not going to be anywhere as good as the original Charlotte's Web that Sanjay Gupta featured. Correct, right? In, yeah, yeah. In, in in the very first, and and even Charlotte's Web, unfortunately, has undergone a transition to where it is a more pure CBD and has less than 0.3 percent THC, so it can be sold on the internet. So you're basically yeah. processing. It's a processed version of a plant, just like mm -hmm. how when we process food, right. just what she said. And this is, a, this is a plant. Yeah. This is a plant therapy. Mm -hmm. Yes. And physicians, we think of the magic bullet. Yes, it's a right. bullet for everything. Right. Yes, and and that's not how this works. Yeah. This is yeah. an entourage, and and that's why new strain combinations are coming out that are wonderful for uh, depression. Let's, let's use White Widow, for example. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, White Widow is a strain that has a one-to-one THC to CBD. Mm -hmm. Uh, The result of that is that they have less of the psychotropic effect, but high of the THC, and instead it's replaced more with a, uh, I feel good, life is nice. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kind of what Prozac is supposed to do. Yeah, yeah. And I call that my medical marijuana Prozac. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's there's other strains out there, and, and she is marvelously informed. Yes. On, on that. And so, you know, you know, why are you depressed? Well, I'm in pain. Got it. Okay. So, you know, you, know, you have to take a lot of... You have to take time. the whole history of the person, mm-hmm. figure out where exactly is their dis-ease. Right. Mm-hmm. And then... And put it together. So one of the things I'll do is I'll look at what they're looking to achieve in different conditions that they're dealing with, and I'll put a cannabinoid profile together for them, for example. Um, probably the, the cannabinoids I, I think are probably, I use the most, but are also probably because they're primarily available. You know, there's cannabinoids that we talk about that aren't even available to people. So yeah, I can sit down with a, with a client and say, well, I think you should use CBC or CBG, but you, you can't get them, you know, yeah. so what, you know, you can give them the information, but primarily I recommend CBD. I recommend THC, CBDA and THCA okay. um, are primarily what I recommend. And then different levels of them, depending on the person, you know, what the condition and all the different factors they're putting together. Um, and then I remember coming to your talk and where you said the different ways people will ingest them is depending on how fast do they need the onset of action. So Yeah, that's one of the things. Um, the method of delivery, so are you going to vaporize it? Are you going to ingest it? Are you going to use it on your skin? Are you going to use a suppository? Um, all the, the different ways, the patch. Um, they all have different onsets. Gummies, tinctures. Yeah. <laughs> Every way that you can food. think, every way you mm-hmm. can think of. See, that's the versatility <laughs> of having a plant. Right. You can literally make it into anything you want. Right. And like, I remember uh, I was speaking to another physician who actually certifies for medical marijuana. And when I spoke to him, he was talking about the teas, mm-hmm. um, how they actually help with the nausea, with cancer. Mm-hmm. So um, getting into, as we are getting into the different uses of it um let's talk about the like the common um reasons why a young person would use this and i find literally it's for anxiety and depression it's mental very often disorders so given the you know um the thing by the government saying hey this actually reduces the iq this is going to be a huge one for physicians you know when you have kids that come in with crippling anxiety and depression no matter what they're this is again an imbalance in their system do we as physicians and as parents need to worry if my child gets on a medical marijuana uh, option that somehow their cognitive functions are going to decline over a period of time. The, the way I answer that is that the human brain doesn't stop changing until the mid-20s. Okay. And if indeed cannabis is altering this, then the decision you have to make is, is the dis-ease that the patient is under experiencing um, more important to treat and is it treated better with cannabis than the other prescription medicines Mm -hmm. and 
nobody talks about the side effects of those other medicines in terms of reducing IQ and so forth. And again, I I like illustrations. And um, when I was in college, I was in honors chemistry because I was going to be a doctor. I was a smart kid. Um, And it was a devil of a course. The professor knew he had really bright students, so he was going to challenge the brightest. And so out of a test of 140 points, the average score was 38. Mm-hmm. There's two kids who sat in the upper row, stoned every day in class, <laughs> and they got 138 and 140 wow. every wow. time. They, they busted the curve every time. And they were just incredibly intelligent. Every study that I saw of marijuana decreasing intellect, it's in the range of 1% to 3%. They didn't miss 3%. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, 83%. <laughs> it's, it's probably, you know, once again, at that time, you're, you're really looking at probably the recreational form. It's not mm-hmm. like they went right. to a doctor and got a prescription. Exactly right. So The use is different. Yes. Yeah. So potentially somebody who has anxiety and depression will really have to weigh the side effects of a chemical equivalent of what a plant-based drug can actually do for the person. And both of them probably have some, I mean, they're neurotransmitters. They work as neurotransmitters. Mm -hmm. Even when you look at medical marijuana, they are a neurotransmitter. So they are altering how the nerves, neurons communicate with each other, which is how you get the effect. The question would be is, as the person evolves and is able to control their anxiety and depression and actually live their lives, is it, have you actually seen people get Stop off? using it. Stop. Yes. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. They're on four psychotropics. Yes. And they come back in a year, and they're down to one, and they're waiting to get off of that one. Okay. Um, I mean, the psychiatrists, they have a, a Jefferson Airplane philosophy. One pill brings me up, and mm-hmm. one pill mm-hmm. brings me down. Yes, yes, yes. You know, they're on Vivance and Trazodone at the same time. Totally, I, I know. And it's like, what? With the cannabis, um, they're not It's being, all there in it, in one. Yeah. I mean, one combination, exactly. you can get the high and the low. And they're happier. Yes. They're happier people. Because and I wouldn't say as much the high and the low. To me, it's more of a balance. It's a physiology. Yeah. What actually, cannabis is bringing the balance. Yes. Right. They're not. They're not mm-hmm. swinging mm-hmm. with their emotions. Yeah. Right. Um, and and again, getting back to the question of, do you want some that's going to lower their IQ in the future? With a lot of these kids, is do you want to go to their funeral? Exactly. Or do you want to go to their graduation? Right. Exactly. Right. What quality of life are they living in? And, right. and the way I think about it as, you know, being a therapist for 25 years is what type of damage is depression and anxiety actually doing to the brain versus right. allowing something like cannabis, right, as a medicine? Because the depression and anxiety is changing the brain as well. Got it. So now let's say the depression part of it is there. And then the other one is MS. MS, I think it works both, uh, mainly by the muscle spasms, but does it do something for the progression of such a disease? I have gotten patient reports back. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, you know, after eight years, I've got some that I've seen two, three, four times on an annual basis. Um, 
the ones that are using CBD consistently are seeing a shrinking in their lesions. Wow, okay. And having fewer lesions. Not fewer newer lesions, you mean? Or fewer the existing lesions. Oh. Yeah. Okay. A reversal. Reversal. And it translates to clinical improvement. Yes. Okay. Yes, they don't, they don't have the spasms, they don't have the pain, and the, uh, they, don't have, they don't get the, the, the double vision as often. They still have flares. So really, this should be in the um, mentorium of a neurologist, because that's one of the diseases that they continue to give these immunomodulators, and still people progress, because it's very aggressive. Some, some of the MS, you know, in their defense, some of these patients with Cavoxin, for example, that's yeah. one of them, uh, have huge improvements. Yes, they do. Okay. Cannabis isn't the only answer. Yes. It needs to be one of them. Okay. Especially with pain. I think chronic mm -hmm. pain is one of the reasons why cannabis should be used in many of these patients. Um, so uh, in the neurological realm, is there anything else that could be helped? Neuropathy? Absolutely. Oh my God, yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I see a great benefit. Um, CBD often by itself mm -hmm. can really be incredible for neuropathy, taking it internally, putting it under skin. Um, and then sometimes the addition of THC may be needed too. Um, but yeah, people are just amazed by the results. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it actually reduces the pain. Does it give them the balance back? Or I, like the again, sensation? I have a patient example. Yes. And again, an example one is not a scientific study. Yes. But, it's anecdotal. But exactly. It's and, but I have a, a patient who had uh, diabetic neuropathy. His both feet were numb, or both lower extremities were numb to just above his ankles. And he felt like he was walking around on blocks of wood. Started using a CBD-THC combination lotion on his feet. And in two weeks, he could feel his toes again. Mm -hmm. He was, you know, he was crying. Mm -hmm. So is, is it... I mean, obviously, this is just a clinical result, but we don't know if it actually, uh, the nerve repaired itself. We don't know. And there have to be yeah, I don't know the answer to that. I, I did recently see a study about um, CBD. I see a lot of people getting, um, getting the nerve pain from um, the result of using chemotherapy. Yes. Um, and some neuropathic pain. And I did recently see a study that talked about even using CBD as a preventative. Um, before you start, before you even start using the chemotherapy, that, that they were seeing some success with that, and the result of not having as much neuropathic pain in the end. Wow. Okay. Is there any other neurological condition I'm not mentioning that you like? Uh, Syringomyelia. Mm. Okay. Um, so that's tertiary syphilis. Mm. No, it's the uh, the, uh, uh, the cysts okay. within the uh, spinal cord or the base right. of the brain. Uh, Shiari malformation the headaches that result from those um oh, what's the other one the the uh it's a cns hyper um hydrocephalus hydrocephalus mm -hmm. non non-obstructive non-obstructive hydrocephalus mm -hmm. the headache relief they get from using the cannabis is uh much better oh okay and and they don't require the uh spinal taps oh oh yeah, usually often. they have a shunt in place a lot not, of times right not always not always yeah not always so in uh, what about alzheimer's dementia and parkinson's there is these are neurodegenerative conditions yeah. right mm -hmm. uh the thc 
is good for all movement disorders. Okay. Okay. And there's a famous YouTube. There's a number of YouTube. Uh, yeah, we see YouTube, but I know how I believe in Google University. Yeah. <laughs> but there, you can, you can, it's demonstrated for you of, of the gentleman who has a severe tremor. Yes. He smokes his, his little blunt, and within three minutes, he can speak normally. He can hold a sandwich. Um, but so can bicycling, so can music. I mean, they've shown with different things. So obviously, we don't exactly know how to get the dopamine levels high mm -hmm. enough. But this is something, you know, I think everybody's looking for something consistent. The difference between medications and something like this is when I give um, insulin to someone, their sugar will go down. Mm -hmm. We know that for a fact. That's, but with the medical marijuana, we don't know how each one is going to react. Exactly. So it's not a consistent result. I can't say, hey, this worked for me, therefore it's going to work for you. And, and we can't say that in the tincture form where you can have one milligram per drop, that right. you need to have six milligrams. We don't have that. Yes, we don't. That's why it's still not something that people can write prescriptions for. Exactly. So your job becomes usually is to do the trial and error or make a very educated guess as exactly. to what is going to work for a them. A starting point. Yes, I make a very educated guess as for a starting point. <laughs> um, and then really it's about uh, client communication with me and helping them navigate where to go with it, what's helping, what's not helping. Really it's the client that has the answers to these things. Um, I'm sort of helping them along with the educated part um, to get them where they should be. Okay. Mm -hmm. and, and we always suggest keep a journal. Yeah. Yeah. What What did you buy? How did you use it? What effect did you have? Mm -hmm. How fast did you have that effect? All those yeah. different things. And then in the end, whenever I have before I let a patient go, um, I tell them that with the cannabis, you control the medicine. You decide which one. You decide how often. You decide how much, and you decide what way. And that's very empowering. Yes. What it allows them to do is it, makes the, it allows them to adjust on a daily basis almost to their situation. This is almost like how we do with insulin and diabetes. We tell yeah. people, see what you want to eat, mm -hmm. see what this insulin did. And, you know, so it's more of patient engagement. Yes. And I think for anything you start starting, you start new, you're going to have to be involved for you to come up with the best combination for them yes. to get the best results that they're looking for. Yes, that's right? exactly right. Yeah. So we have neurodegenerative, we have the autoimmune, you have the chronic pain and the psychological. Is there anything else in the nervous system where you think medical marijuana is commonly used? Autism. Autism. Oh, well, that's a huge spectrum. So yes. what do you see actually with autism yeah. and attention deficit? Um, right? Those are two different. Different. They yeah. come on the same spectrum, but two ends? Uh, or different, do you think? I, 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 I think completely different. I think autism is almost on the CP range. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, but with the autistics, again, it depends on how severely they are. You know, I think autism and Asperger's probably mm -hmm. are on the same spectrum. Okay, yeah. Um, but uh, the calming effect that the THC has um, is huge for the caretakers. Mm -hmm. 
Um, long term, I think the CBD helps them even out their their uh, their swings, their emotional swings, and their outbursts and so forth. But on a acute basis, the THC is what brings them that calmness. And parents come to me and they say, oh, "I can't give my kid. Yeah, I can't get him high." Well, mm-hmm. see, you don't have to. If you use a a tincture form, for example, you can microdose, and you can then kind of stay below the level of intoxication, which is at the point that psychotropic thing, things happen, and you can see that they, they visibly relax. You mm-hmm. just see it. And unfortunately, we can't do it in the office. Yes. Although, with it being recreational now. So for adults. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah I know. I'm kind of working on that, how that's going to play out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Because, because I think as a parent, you'd want to know, is this something that's going to work for my child, or am I going to be The children, I, I do some uh, pediatric or minor yeah. uh, certifications. In the state of Michigan, it requires two physicians to sign off on the certification. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's really onerous on the parent. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're protecting children. Yes, of course yeah. we are. But these parents, they're, they've tried everything. The neurologists, the neuropsychologists haven't gotten them anywhere. Yeah, and, I, that's and, true. And they're on medicines that they feel makes their behavior worse. Worse, yeah. Sometimes worse and sometimes unpredictable. Yes. Uh, but again, those that come back in a year say, oh my God. What a huge difference. Yeah. yeah. So would you say attention deficit is also something that you would treat? Like instead of Adderall, because I mm-hmm. feel by dancing as Adderall, actually, it's the hardest drug to wean off. You literally have to be in rehab once you get on those medications long term. I think so too. The uh, I, I my model for ADHD and ADD is a train station, mm-hmm. and think of the train station as the brain's processor. Okay, and you have twenty trains, passenger trains that come in all at one time. You've got all of this confusion on the platform from passengers trying to get from one place to the next. If you bring those trains in one at a time, mm. you have order. And the one thing that uh, THC has been shown to do is it slows neurotransmission by less than a nanosecond, but it's enough of a slowing, apparently, mm. that the processor can handle the multiple thoughts. And okay. so the child isn't as frustrated by the confusion. The confusion. Yeah. Mm, okay. Of course, the commonest reason why CBD even got on the map was by the documentary Weed by mm-hmm. Dr. Sanjay Gupta. And I, so seizures are a very common reason why people use CBD. Is there a difference? I know I was looking at this um, Epidiolex, which is the purified CBD that's going to be, mm-hmm. is it already released yes. in the market? Yes. Yeah. So that's for epilepsy. How is it actually doing compared to going to Julie and getting a natural? I just saw, interesting, I just saw a study out of Israel. I haven't looked into it too much in detail to see, you know, what they did exactly, but they said that um, it was losing its effectiveness within one year. One year. Mm-hmm. Seven months to one year. Point. GW Pharmaceuticals mm-hmm. went from 35 to 130. I'm sorry? What did, GW Pharmaceuticals uh, share price oh, sure. went from 35 of course. to 135. Well, everybody's uh, investing in uh, marijuana right now. Why yeah. not? 
Okay. But, so, but the, the point, again, goes back to this is a plant therapy. Yes. And to get the magic bullet, which is what GW Park Circle is trying to do, is going to fail. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's true. But Marinol failed years ago mm -hmm. when we did Marinol for and, uh, nausea. And, mm -hmm. um, and it, it's like, I don't think we're going to learn a lesson because anything that's just planned cannot be patented. It cannot be for profit. And, and price-wise. Yeah, and price-wise. It's very affordable. Marinol yeah. for a sleeve of uh, 60 Pills, pills was $880. In addition to when you're going through chemotherapy, yeah. which by itself yeah. is so expensive, oh, yeah. the loss yeah. of time with not going to work and then you have to add marinol. How much is, like, if, I, if somebody were to just go and get something for nausea, what would be the approximate price? I mean, you could spend, you know, $10 on a joint, yeah. right? You could buy a tincture for uh, maybe, you know, between $40 and $60. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, you and can buy gummy. And you that know? will last you, a tincture bottle will last you two, three weeks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. that's the neurological part. So there's a lot of uses. And I think the general theme here is try to use the plant sourced product rather than trying to go for a synthetic yes um except that one is going to be fda approved and indicated for it mm -hmm. and you know if it fails at least you know that the whole plant source is better so coming to the rest of the body because cbd receptors are there throughout the body though they are different like the liver the muscle the mm -hmm. gut like you mentioned um and you did briefly mention for inflammatory bowel disorders what other conditions can people use and arthritis you did mention so arthritis is very confusing and maybe this is a question for you julie what is the difference between a cbd oil that they buy off online or from a store and i, I think just about everybody has cbd oil now even restaurants have a little cbd oil if, I mean, if you go to ann arbor some of them would have so what is the difference between getting that and coming to blue city club to get a more personalized the thing about it is that it's tricky it's not as black and white okay um a lot of people are using that label of hemp-derived CBD um, because that way you can use it uh, throughout the nation, okay. right? Um, that could mean a lot of different things. That could mean they're actually growing industrial hemp stalks mm -hmm. and, you know, extracting CBD from that. But I mean, what is that? hemp and what is marijuana? Well, um, hemp is technically a legal term. It's all cannabis. Mm -hmm. Cannabis yes. is the name of the plant. Um, the, you know, when they were looking to legalize hemp, they made the distinction between um, a cannabis plant that has less than 0.3% THC. That's the federal definition. Um, so that could be considered hemp. Um, something with uh, above 0.3% THC would be considered can medical cannabis or recreational cannabis. Um, but the issue has become really a, an issue, I think, for the consumer. Okay. Because... Um, I would want people to, like I mentioned earlier, um, to whatever they're using, they want a plant that's grown and it's flowered and they're, they're getting the cannabinoids extracted from the flower, flower. of the plant. Okay. Um, but, um, and so that's typically going to be found in a, in a provisioning center or dispensary. The problem is, is that you could have either one labeled as hemp. Um, so it's really unclear to the consumer. It's unclear to me if I pick up a bottle and I don't know the company and I don't know the background and I, it just says hemp derived. 
does that mean it, it's grown medicinally and allowed to flower and it's, you know, or does that mean that, you know, just because it has less than 0.3% THC or does it mean that it actually was grown through, you know, hemp? And I, I don't, um, it, it's unclear even to me unless you do your research and find out. It, it's my observation that the cannabis derived has enough THC to activate the CBD. It's, also, it's as if the THC was a receptor activator for CBD. Now, other people would say, no, it's the THC doing the, uh, the uh, cortical disconnection. But in the CBD that comes from the cannabis, you don't have enough THC to get the psychotropic effect. And yet, it is so much more effective for pain uh, conditions than hemp-derived. And so I always advise the patients, get it cannabis-derived. There has to be half a percent to about 1% THC in it for it to work. So basically, hemp has less than 0.3% of mm -hmm. the THC. It's most likely cultivated, which means that it's been biologically uh, derived, like they've tried to, um, what, what is the term, um, genetically, almost genetically, uh, it's selected not, it's or it's more selected. Yeah, it's no, it's just certain varieties. Certain, okay, so it's a, like tomato plants have different varieties, right? Correct. So you selectively, you're taking so it's a, it's a selection process rather than a genetically modified yes. process. Okay, yes. so it's a selection process, and it does have uh, mostly CBD, correct? And then you're extracting, and even in that, they're extracting it from the flower, or you're saying you don't know. No, they it grind it. They grind it up the whole the, the whole biomass, okay, and then extract it out of that. The I tricky see. part that I was saying was that when um, you know Michigan has changed, you know their their ideas about what they're going to do with CBD within the state. But um, when it was when when Michigan was allowing CBD to be you know bought and sold freely without a card, um, I was seeing some products that I knew specifically were being grown for the flower, being grown as medicinal cannabis, being labeled as hemp, so that they didn't have to worry about any kind of interstate um, issue. Mm -hmm. So um, that's the con that was yeah. I'm just trying to clarify the confusing point. Right, because you know why would I send somebody to go and see a consultant and go to a dispensary as opposed to go to Google? and just buy a CBD, people need to know there's a difference between the two. There definitely is a difference. Yeah, and a lot of times I think, um, you know, I prefer when you're do doing something like this, which has so much of variability, go to somebody who actually understands where it's yes. sourced and how yes. it's sourced, how it can be used rather than just buying it off the internet uh, without knowing how it is exactly sourced, right? right? Yeah. Here's, I, I think we have to give a compliment to the state of Michigan, um, even though right now they've created a cannabis shortage, mm -hmm. but the licensing of the uh, dispensaries, the licensing of the growers, uh, they put in the requirements that they have to be tested for pesticides, heavy metals, and oh. mold. Yeah. yeah. And along with... Uh, determining the levels of THC and CBD in the plant. And the result of that is a very clean product mm -hmm. and very good for the consumer, uh, for the patient. Um, and, and I think, and again, it, it brings the attention back to what's in this. Yeah. 
But then when you say that they want to know the THC and CBD, automatically it becomes, if it's greater than 0.3, it's not something that can be freely available, correct? Well, all of, these, all of these are for the dispensaries anyway. Okay, those are all yeah. for the dispensaries. I'm, I'm talking about people bring to me all the time. I got mm -hmm. CBD oil, my friend sold this to me, it's working wonders, and it actually works for them. They feel mm -hmm. a difference. Would they get a better um, result from doing something that has a little more THC? Is really what... Well, what I think we're seeing is the variability in people. Mm -hmm. People are more sensitive to CBDs than others. And okay. the ones that are getting the good results, they are just naturally sensitive. Most people will require some THC. Okay. And some of those products that we're talking about um, being sold outside of dispensaries sometimes are actually quite good. The problem is you don't know. Yeah. You know, unless you're really doing your research, you don't know. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so getting back to since you're doing the certification, do you actually, how, how in you said three years you've done the certification. How eight? eight sorry. That's okay. Eight years. That's a long time. How often do you see, how, how do you pick out somebody who's actually addicted? And is there addiction that you see that you can pick out and say, okay, this person needs to tone it down? In 2016, there was a study that was published in JAMA that reported that there's a 9% addiction rate of cannabis and then they went on to say that the withdrawal symptoms are primarily wanting cannabis yeah <laughs> so you know we're not seeing the the dysentery the uh the, the, fe the fevers the and all of the gi issues of withdrawal we're just seeing the psychological jonesing um far it's cannabis. just basically they cannot be without the medicine and they cannot be without the product yeah they, and but at the same time um someone whose entire focus of the day is how high they can get okay that is that's a problem that's right. that's not what this medicine is for and they are abusing it um they're not being toxic because they can't but they're still they're missing out on life mm -hmm. okay and so it's like any other addiction until they hit bottom they're not going to recognize or admit you know and it's a difficult position to be in uh, as a family member or the physician who sees that other than to say i think there's an issue here mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. okay. So it has to be like any other addiction the family member should say because, you know, you, you have the to... Patient the patient has pa to recognize it. Well, that's true. Yeah. How many people with addiction issues recognize it? They always say, I got good control over it. Right. I just use it because I need it. Okay. Um, and, and that's where the word cure or getting better because of this comes is mm -hmm. if you're not able to be without it, you did not get cured. You're still dependent on this drug. For a certain result. But I take resolve in that they're not toxic. Correct. They're, I'm right. they're, they're, they're not, not going to die from it. They're not going to, exactly, they're not going to have any organ failure as a result Assuming of Assuming that's the only drug, I mean, that's the only medicinal product that they're using. We have to, right. you know, people But again, the question was, you know, yeah. what are we going to do with the addicted patient to cannabis? Mm -hmm. And the answer is nothing. Nothing, really. Okay. 
Yeah, because it's it, it's a self-destructive process, and mm -hmm. you're going to be addicted to something. It could also be McDonald's too. At that point, you know, McDonald's probably much more destructive than the well, yeah, I mean, the, the one guy who ate nothing but McDonald's for a month, mm -hmm. he gained 50 yeah, pounds. Yeah, didn't go well. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, that, that's true. I mean, we're looking at different, uh, only thing is McDonald's is freely available, just like how alcohol is freely available, uh, tobacco is freely available. We as a society have decided these things are okay, though there was at one time alcohol was not easily available, there was probation, and right now we don't have it. Someday, marijuana, probably, I could go to Kroger and just get a bag of hash, I don't know, and, uh, you know. Probably CVS. <laughs> Never know, you know, it could, no, it could be to bake my muffins, I could just put that in there, <laughs> edible version. It may happen, society may decide that that is okay and acceptable, and then once again, it's going to come down to quality, organic, inorganic. I guess right. we're going to fight about marijuana being of that quality at some point. But I think yeah. uh, as of today, who would you say, like we're finding in the elderly, and I think a lot of studies out there in Israel where they use it in the elderly for various reasons for neurological and pain issues and they do see a lot of response because the elderly are the ones who get multiple medications and if there's one thing that will affect multiple um, medical conditions you know why not go for it where do you see uh, the future of this would you be still having your specialized clinic 10 years from now or do you think this is going to be something i i suspect that the certifications are going to go by the wayside. Okay. And it'll come back to educated physicians advising patients that this is the route they should go. Uh, well, if, if it ever goes Schedule 2, I think we're going to have a flurry of activity as CVS, Walgreens, Walmart, pharmacies buy up dispensaries. Monsanto will go out there and be buying up sure. all the growing. Sure, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I, is that what they're working on? It's oh, guaranteed. To, yes. oh, guaranteed. They're, they're ready. <laughs> they are yeah. ready. ready. Which means NIH should grant or have grants now for looking at specific conditions. Once again, it comes down to making it uh, yeah. medicine, right? As and, 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 and unfortunately, you know, you're going back to the magic bullet. Yeah. Um, but what I predict we're going to see is CVS Pharmacy will have disposable inhalers mm -hmm. uh, in, in their pharmacy. They'll have the gummies, they'll have tablets. Actually, there's a uh, uh, Pure Green is a oh, brand yeah. of tablets mm -hmm. that has CBD and THC in it mm -hmm. uh, okay. that's locally yeah. produced. Uh, mm -hmm. um, there's patches that will give slow release mm -hmm. um you can get patches now yes um, yeah yeah but uh so there'll be a lot of forms that the pharmacies will be able to sell and if we go back to it being prescription then we're going to restrict the access right uh and yet we have the the recreational laws which allow people to grow so it's going to be both an over-the-counter as well as a prescription, you think? I, I think so. As we get better studies, yeah. Um, yeah. as we get better products, as we learn about more cannabinoids. Uh, you know, now we're starting to learn about CBG a little bit as the stem cell 
cannabinoid. Um, CBC has been mentioned in pain management. Um, and again, all of this is coming from out of the country. Um, yes, most but, of the studies are seem to be out of the country. And we're, and we're getting more who are identifying CBN, for example. That's a fun one. Um, it is associated with drowsiness. Mm. Okay. And it has an interesting history. The LAPD police force figured this one out because mm -hmm. they were borrowing from the evidence room, room and, it, and it had been there for six to eight months. So THC, as it ages, breaks down to CBN. Wow. And they were complaining, you know, the stuff I get out of the evidence locker puts me to sleep. <laughs> For insomniacs. Mm -hmm. So you'll age, and so you'll have aged THC that can mm, work yes. for insomnia. Oh, it's yes. like wine. <laughs> yes, might, might as well add it to something. Yeah. Oh, they, by the way, say that uh, the use of THC increases the alcohol effect. Mm. And they have studies that back that up? Or yeah, they do. They, 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 they claim studies, yeah. Okay. All right. So... Right now, medical marijuana is still a Schedule 1. It's still based on recommendations. And the best way to approach it, it is to go through a consulting um, service so that people can get the best bang for their buck. Or so, see a doctor who's going to give those recommendations. Most doctors are not. You know, somebody who's we, trained. But someone, we give education with the certification. Okay. That, that. So they know what to ask for if they go to a dispensary. Exactly. If they don't yes. have a consulting service, they can go directly yeah. to a dispensary. And, and most of the better dispensaries will have a sit-down with the first visit of that patient. Got it. Um, I know Omif Medicine has a physician that actually sits down with them. Um, Bloom has, has her. Mm -hmm. um, there's others out there. but uh, Yeah, I don't know of any specifically other than those two, honestly. Yeah. But, I hope they'll get on board. Yeah, more will get on board. With okay, and uh, if people need to know the the closer it is to the whole plant, the flower, or however it is extracted, I, I think so. Is I better think so. than the more diluted versions or, or concentrated or purified, purified or extra uh, or yeah or um, modified. Some way to give uh, artificially modified probably is not mm -hmm. necessarily their best. Right. And, um, and there's an example of that here in town, uh, uh, here in, in Ann Arbor. Mm -hmm. There was one dispensary that had a CO2 extractor, which allows for very pure extraction of specific uh, cannabinoids. And he was able to get pure THC, pure CBD, and then he would add back terpenes, mm -hmm. which are flavor crystals, yeah. So you could get sour apple CBD and sour apple THC and that kind of stuff. Um, and in talking to patients, they weren't getting the same relief. Yeah, because now you've modified exactly. the whole process. Got it. So, um, and if people want to, and, and I'm assuming there are dispensaries cropping up everywhere and, and you know, oh, right, right now. Not at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> the opposite at the moment. Oh, just the opposite. I'm really very confused about it. So we've legalized something. We also have something for recreational purposes, and yet well, we, it's not. We've just licensed okay. the dispensaries. Okay. And a dispensary can only sell uh, cannabis that has been grown by a licensed 
grower that had been delivered by a licensed driver that had been tested at a licensed laboratory. So who actually, now, so now we have a new license in, uh, like, you know, the JCO and the DEA. Do we have another drug enforcement agency no. that comes to check all these? No, Laura. 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 Okay, just the Laura. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, in, in the, when I spoke earlier about the cannabis is now tested, that's a good thing. Uh, the dispensaries are licensed. Uh, it forces them to buy tested cannabis, mm -hmm. but the licensing is actually getting rid of a lot of the mom and pop shops. Mm. So you have to have a certain amount of wealth to be able to open a dispensary or have a grow or to have a lab. Syndicated, not syndication. What do, what do they call that? Co-op it. Oh, co-op of franchising it. Like yeah. they have a specific in this use of common grower and then dispense it to all these dispensaries. That's what it's going to get down to, right? Yeah. And the, yeah. yeah. But there's a shortage of product, and that's what he's getting to, is yeah. that because everything now has to go through this brand new process, there's a shortage of product out there. Okay. And every dispensary, there were 200-plus dispensaries in the state, now there are eight. Mm, wow. Yeah. Because now, of the more, licensing right, more will yeah. More will open over the next couple of months as the licensing goes through. Wow. But right now, all of a sudden, people are scrounging. And yeah. it, it uh, was partly done this way to try and do away with the caregiver model, which a patient can uh, turn over their growing rights to another person and that person could have up to five patients mm. and that person then could take his excess cannabis because if he's growing 72 plants he is producing about 70 pounds or more of cannabis every three months okay well those six people can't consume 70 pounds so what do you do with the leftovers you go to the dispensary, and the dispensary then sells it to licensed patients. Um, and that always was a weird transaction anyway, because the growers couldn't sell their excess, but they could donate it. Wow. <laughs> and the dispensaries couldn't buy it. They could give them a gift. Mm. <laughs> And most of them chose to take gifts in the form of portraits of dead presidents. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, if I were, if I understood enough about medical marijuana, if I wanted to grow my own plant to treat my own condition, can I do that today without yes. getting into trouble? Okay. Yes. So I could potentially just do it as and Economically, this is one of the beautiful things about this whole program. Because if you're able to grow your own plant, you only need one or two plants. Correct. And you produce all of it that you need and for pennies versus dollars. Got it. I got it. Okay. But being a grower means you are not able to necessarily make the concentrates or make the edibles or like the gummies that you like. Again, right. there's a place for the dispensary. That's right. Okay. Yeah, I'm just looking at various options that people are going to look for mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to long-term use. You know, somebody who has had a terrible car accident, has uh, damaged nerves, in chronic pain, no matter what they do, 
what are their options? Let's say they want to grow because they just have to spend the rest of their life mm-hmm. for. It's um, also a really wonderful hobby. I just have to okay. mention. Yeah. <laughs> it, oh. It's really quite enjoyable as a hobby. Ask, if somebody would be into that. Ask uh-huh. any farmer uh-huh. to take a yeah. plant, watch it mature, and then be able to use it to help yourself. Right, right. Is, is it's very, very empowering. empowering and rewarding yeah. and fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, grow your own tomatoes. That's right. right. Our garden, maybe. Yeah. Can't block it off, though. <laughs> yeah, there's regulations <laughs> around. Our, yeah. <laughs> Put it in our job. I know when we started our child garden, they said, uh, Doc, what is this? And it's like, you know, everybody caught a bus, caught a bus, yeah. and it's like, it's <laughs> <laughs> green. Yeah. We could potentially do it. <laughs> we are holistic oh, after all. The plants that are out there, I saw that. Yeah. That's a nice little setup. I would have done the bad, maybe nobody would see it. But <laughs> right, right. I know. Um, are there any other questions that I'm not asking you that I should be asking you? So uh, just to uh, wrap, wrap up this, one of the things I was looking at is, is obviously um, acute cannabis intoxication, which means, like you said, you're uh, burning a whole pile of it. It temporarily impairs learning, memory, attention, and can double the risk of traffic accidents. That's the best I got out of acute and i don't know how you would get acute cannabis the the difference between alcohol intoxication and cannabis intoxication that i have witnessed is that the people who are intoxicated with alcohol think they're better drivers (laughs) and the people who are intoxicated with cannabis know that they're intoxicated and and they (laughs) and they somehow are able to make that decision not to drive because they realize that they're impaired. Mm-hmm. It's their judgment. In alcohol intoxication, their judgment is actually altered and whether or not that, they're going to be that's able. The, that's the word mm-hmm. I was like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what about the incidence of testicular cancers with cannabis use? There was a study that showed an increase in cannabis. There was one study, and again, small numbers. Um, I doubt it. I really doubt it. In seeing, uh, looking at the mega studies in Canada, they had a uh, a study of forty thousand inhabitants of this one town, much like the Framingham study in mm-hmm. Massachusetts, and they measured everything: blood pressures, sugars, incidence of different cancers. And the one statistic that they came out with that the people who use marijuana regularly. Mm-hmm had a 15% lower incidence of cancers of all kinds. And in the face of that large study, hearing an outlying study like this on testicular cancer, um, I I don't, I'd have to see. It's not something you want to worry about. I would, I would, I'd have to see multiple. Yeah. Yeah. And half of my patients don't have to worry about it anyway. That's right. (laughs) Okay. Do you have any questions that I didn't ask? Well, I have it here. I did have one that popped up. I think I read somewhere about um, cannabis at the lower magnesium levels. Do you know anything about that? Is that true? Uh, I saw something the other night on that. Didn't really follow up because my search was liver enzymes. (laughs) Um, So I can't, with authority, speak to that. I heard this years ago. I have no idea. I thought it popped up in my head something that maybe people should be aware of if they are. 
but we don't have any conclusive evidence as of right now. You know, I, I think um, really what's uh, the way I'm looking at medical marijuana right now is like how I look at functional medicine. Most people come to a functional medical practitioner today when all other options have failed. You know, they literally have tried everything. We're talking about the regular population coming to you and saying, you know, I need certification. Because I've said a lot of my patients who are in chronic pain, you should try CBD. And I usually tell them, go and talk to Julie. Mm -hmm. I can see, like, that's not what they even want to think about because of the stigma associated with it. So similarly, when somebody sees Holistic and Integrative Center of Nova, I remember there was a gentleman when I was... Um, I was at a business training and I was, he said, you lost me at the word holistic because to them that is associated with not science. Mm -hmm. And uh, until he heard my whole speech, he said, you should change the name of your company. And for a couple of, you know, moments there, I thought you know, I should actually change. So I don't, but then I realized a lot of people are looking for the word holistic grabs them in, but actually we mm -hmm. practice a science-based medicine. We're just mm -hmm. looking at the physiology and biochemistry, but unfortunately people come to us when all other options have failed. And it looks like medical marijuana today as of where its space is, people come to it when they really don't want to try drugs and surgery and they feel like all other options have failed. Yeah, and, and but we have the success now. Yes. I've, I've got over 500 patients not on opioids, only using cannabis for their pain management. Um, I've got six dozen Crohn's patients in remission. Um, the number of patients with anxiety is in the thousands. And it, I think that, that means this, this really should be one of the first lines of therapy for a lot of disabling diseases or disease states. I, I think the first people need to have a diagnosis. Correct. A accurate diagnosis. Absolutely. That's the, that's the key word there, accurate. Um, and then they need to identify their goals in having that diagnosis. Correct. And that's when we can be more specific as to how to help them. And I think the other big um, hurdle I see is, is, let's say somebody who's young in college has anxiety and decides, okay, I'm going to use medical marijuana, I might use the lozenge, or I might use a patch or whatever else, I don't want to smoke it. But then is applying for a job, does it show up on the testing, mm -hmm. right? And when it shows up on the testing, what is an employer's um, in a way of deciding, hey, this person is just not the right fit, or is this something? Unfortunately, it goes back to previous prejudices. Yes. Um, if they are a state-funded or a state agency, then they are required by law to recognize other state programs. Oh. So if they have the medical card, it gives that, that potential Immunity. employee um, protection. Just protection. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, now, someone who is getting federal funding, they can or may have to adhere to the federal guidelines. For a private corporation, if they are government contracted, they may be required by that contract that their employees adhere to the federal programs. And in that case, having a cannabis card that's state-issued 
is not a protection. Got it. Now, and uh, one last thing that really popped in my head as you were saying this is, particularly a lot of the issues with women. Um, I find women have such disabling anxiety and depression that they use Zoloft and some of these drugs even through their pregnancy even though they're in, you know, it's not necessarily completely approved during pregnancy because it's so disabling. Have there been any studies about using CBD instead uh, during pregnancy and not affecting the baby? No, but the, the American Academy of Pediatricians has pontificated already uh, on that they don't recommend the use of cannabis, and in cannabis they're including all cannabinoids, mm -hmm. in uh, pregnant in pregnancy and in breastfeeding. Um, Though the human milk is very high in the endocannabinoids. In endocannabinoids. Yes, but the external cannabinoids we right. don't want to be using. Right. So, you know, and it goes back again to the studies that show the decreased in intellectual growth or the stagnation of intellectual growth or the formation of the brain. So that may be a new business model, just extract the endocannabinoids from human milk, like they take the mm. colostrum, and give it to women who are pregnant. I can, see, I can see the assembly line. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and with that, we're done. Yeah, I think we should, and we should wrap this up with that. So is, is there any um, anything that you would um, give us a takeaway for people who are, are stigmatized by the use of it and the others who are probably overusing it? What would you say is the best advice for them? I think there are two. I, I tell the patient it's their decision. Got it. And if they're not comfortable in doing this, then they shouldn't. You know, you have to have, if you are not open You've got to have the belief in this, you know, this report. Yeah, and, and, and that kind of says, oh, gee, this is partially placebo, mm -hmm. but that's not true. Uh, you can actually hinder the effect of a medicine by being against it. I totally agree. I think that's with any relationship. If you don't like someone and working with them actually makes you feel you don't get results. Mm -hmm. So, and working with something also is the same thing. Anything from you, Julie? Yeah, I just want to say that there are professionals out there who can help um, patients figure out how to use this medicine, what's the best way to use it, um, and can help you, um, as you as you figure it out. And um, use those professionals. There's two of them right here. You yeah. know, use those professionals. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. I know, I don't know how many, it's a little over an hour or two hours, I know. Thank you very much for all the information. Alrighty then. If you've listened to this podcast fully, I would like to hope you have gained some new knowledge, a different way of thinking, and have benefited from it. If so, would you please do me a favor and share this with your family and friends? I do, however, want to mention that nothing that is stated in this podcast or written in the show notes should be construed as medical advice. We would like you as an individual to seek your medical advice from your specific provider. Our goal has all along been to dig into some existing truths, try and make it simple, so we all have a better understanding of our options out there to live fulfilling lives. 
It may be also prudent for me to mention the obvious here that no doctor-patient relationship was ever formed. In closing, I am grateful that you joined us and please do not forget to leave a review or share this info. Signing off till next time, I'm your host, Dr. Nisha Chalam.